0: Hello and welcome to episode five of Songs from a Padded Envelope. My name is Steve and I'm here with co-host Ben. Hello, Ben.
1: Hi hey there, Steve.
0: So episode five features a conversation with Yvette Pike, who we spoke to last week. Yvette got in touch following our first episode going out and then heard about the show via a friend who is a Flotation Toy Warning fan. Uh, and Ben and I both play in Flotation Toy Warning. Do we not?
1: We do indeed, mate
0: i'll put some i'll put some links in the show notes if you want to uh check out uh check out the band this conversation has shifted focus for us a little bit as yvette is both in the early stages of a musical career and very much self-releasing and developing their band seven hour darkness invasion i don't know about you but this conversation really stayed with me this week
1: there was so much that came out of it really I was trying to pull together all the different strands um ahead of having this conversation with you and there was almost too much too much ground to cover um, The what Yvette brought to the to the discussion you know it's difficult to know where to start with it really.
0: It, it's a slow burn isn't it and there are, there are aspects of Yvette's life which feed into the seven hdi songs which are they describe them in a really impactful way in this episode Uh, but you kind of have to just sit with what yvette has to say throughout don't you
1: yeah i think you're i think you're completely right that it's a it is a slow burn and um be patient with with the conversation as it progresses through this episode because it's going to lead you to a really incredible kind of origin story from from how these the the Beach Life demos arrived, um, you know, out of a out of a really traumatic experience, and it, you know, kind of it displays a real a real genuine triumph over adversity, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, have you have you listened to much of the other stuff as well?
1: I, I've listened to a lot before before the episode, and possibly even more afterwards um you know checking out some of both some of the you know the demos that uh, that Yvette had sent us before um the conversation and then some of the kind of finished works and referencing them against each other um yeah and that's uh there's such great music there to be had there isn't there
0: yeah there's so much to explore uh, um it feels like uh well, Seven Hour Darkness are definitely a band deserving of, of, of your time, as you will get from the, the track that is going to appear at the end of the episode, uh, FFS. The other aspect of this episode, which is really interesting, and actually it was something that Yvette mentioned uh, when they got in touch, was this is a episode looking at somebody in the early stages of their musical career as opposed to someone who made demos years ago and is sort of looking back on that time so it's been it's it's really interesting to hear the perspective of somebody who is having to navigate the contemporary music scene and breaking into uh getting their music heard and out there i found that really interesting what i had to say
1: it was so refreshing. I think one we've often touched on this kind of idea of uh, DIY ethic that kind of stretches back to well, I suppose initially with its origins in punk, not necessarily in the music, but in the the attitude that follows through from that, you know, and then kind of moves through, I guess, through the early nineties rave scene and possibly into kind of more contemporary, you know, hip hop and grime that kind of territory. But um, yeah, there was. Uh, Yvette didn't seem at all daunted by the prospect of things being different um, and in fact was really excited and engaged with approaching it in a in a completely different fashion. And they had an awareness of, you know, how things had worked in the past, you know, the kind of uh, demo labels, advanced deal, that whole kind of scenario, but um, weren't, um, you know, weren't involving themselves in that at all.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I was really interested by that, you know, as a um, somebody who, you know, lived through that process and still sort of sees uh, things through that lens. You know, it's, it's great and actually really encouraging because I've often thought, God damn, I would not want to be making demos and starting my career now because how do you rise above the noise? And, you know, a lot of people i've had that conversation with a lot of people but yeah like you said it was refreshing to hear yvette's take on that um yeah so here is episode five of songs from a padded envelope with yvette pike from seven hour darkness invasion
2: my name is yvette pike i use they them pronouns and this is the song FFS by my band 7 hour darkness invasion it's a really great track um it's really exciting to have it uh, on
0: on the show um can you can you just start by telling us a bit about how you got into music making
2: um that, it's kind of something that i've been doing like forever occasionally i'll talk to my dad and he'll remind me of like myself messing around on garage band in like the early 2000s when i was like three and four and i think i had a song about having a pet squid and having um another song that i remember being called the um palm of mom and i don't know it, it's like real you know you're four you've just figured out how to make like a weird melody you got no sense of rhythm or anything and you're just kind of babbling so i i guess in a sense it started with that but um I actually started intentionally writing material when I was um, when I was 16. Um, Like my um, friend Adam and I at school, we we wanted to be in a band. We wanted to do band stuff. So we started like being in a band together Um, and I was the bassist and he was the guitarist and we um, we just did cover songs. We just we just covered the mountain goats. That's all we did. I didn't like the mountain goats. I, I grew to hate the mountain goats because that's all <laughs> we were doing. Um And, you know, I kept bugging him because he's this, you know, he reads a lot. He like writes poetry. He's like one of those guys. I was like, you should write a song. You should write a song. Come on, man. Just please write a song. And he, he just didn't want to put himself out there at all. So I got fed up enough and I'd like, I'd, I'd write a song. And I was like, okay, here you go. Play. We're playing this. Um, Like uh, I initially wasn't doing any of the singing or, you know, even the playing guitar. I just, I just write a song, um, you know, about like my experiences in my life and then get him to play it, uh, which is thinking back really quite odd, um, to hear, you know, what, what you've written and kind of what you've made expressed through, uh, somebody else. But, um, That's kind of how it started. And we changed our band name to The Male Gaze as soon as we started writing material as like some kind of, I I guess it's a joke, maybe. Um, He got into writing songs um, after that. And we were both, um, you know, writing stuff together. And well, writing our own songs. And then he would play both of them and we would start playing both of them together. And we eventually found some, Uh, other friends to come and play along with us. So we had like a fully fledged band with another guitarist and a drummer. Um, And we would, it it was always us two coming in with the songs and the songs we'd come in basically fully written.
0: Where's all this taking, taking place?
2: Yeah. Sorry. I forgot. I forget that I don't sound British. Um, It it all takes place in London. I'm from London. I've lived in London most of my life in, in spite of the accent. So this was all um it was all happening at kind of our school in London and I trek from Hackney to Acton every couple weekends like good hour on the central line uh, with my bass which was horrible um just to kind of play with the band and it, it, we weren't really doing anything we were recording demos right but we um you know it was just basically recordings of us practicing on a phone um that we called the demo or whatever but we were all from london and then after that once we moved to uni we haven't you know even really seen each other since then but um i, I came up to york um and that's where 7 hour darkness invasion started
1: it sounds it sounds like you've been around music from a very very early early age of that did you always know that you wanted to be a musician, that you were gonna be in a band?
2: Um, I, I I guess I've always wanted to be in a band. Like I've been playing um guitar since I was um since I was like five or six. Um it, it's always something I, I've listened to a lot of and um I've played a lot of and I tried to engage a lot with. And I think I think part of that is just how easy it is to engage with music there's just so much of it it's uh, you have really easy access to all of it and it feels easy to stumble across something that no one else has ever really seen before or that none of your friends know and that kind of makes you feel cool or whatever but like it's it's something that like you know throughout my teenage years I just stay up late and stare out the window and listen to whatever it is I had on rotation. I do that like every night for hours um, just because, you know, it's dark and you don't wanna read, but you don't wanna like watch a movie or something. It's just, it's so easy just to consume um, music and just, you know, consume so much of it. You can get like very broad musical palette very quickly in the way I don't think you can with other things.
0: I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, that makes a load of sense. What what were the what were the inf- things that were influencing your songwriting? What were you listening to that was sort of inspiring?
2: Um, so initially, when I was like sixteen, um, I, I was listening to a lot of folk punk, which you know I think you tend to do around sixteen. Uh, I was listening to AJJ and Ramshackle Glory. In particular, these kind of like leftist folk punk bands. Um, And it's just like, you know, I, I think that was, I think that kind of music is really conducive to like, from listening to it to actually getting something written, because it's the kind of music where, you know, it says, okay, it doesn't need to sound good. And you don't need anything other than a guitar, you can just like, bash out four chords, and then sing some angry stuff over the top. And that's a song um it's very kind of like inspiring to not listen to what i wouldn't consider now to be like the best music ever but like it's achievable you can you can listen to something and it feels really achievable and i think that's um that's what i was listening to around then and then um i think before the first seven hour darkness invasion stuff I was I was listening to more like um, Jeff Rosenstock and Billy Bragg and Titus Andronicus and Pavement, all of these more like um, kind of like alt rock, indie rock um, stuff, which, you know, kind of moving on from the folk punk, it was like, oh, okay, like that, I did that and now I can do this. This is what's achievable now. Um, I'm trying to like, find the next thing that i think i can do and then listening to a lot of that and then trying to do it you know and trying to have my own take on that style i suppose
1: so when you when you got in touch with this event you mentioned that you had the desire to kind of give your songs what you described as a kind of full treatment so what does that mean and, and what would the ideal setup be for you in terms of making music
2: I've talked to some people about this and I feel like a weird kind of outlier in the sense that I always write lyrics first. Um, It's very rare that I'll have a song written because, you know, I I play guitar for a while, but I'm not, it's very hard for me to actually like write something interesting musically, um, in my opinion, especially by myself. But I do write lyrics um, and I used to write lyrics all the time. So I'd, you know, I think that's more of a product in the situations where I was writing um, rather than like a conscious choice. It's, it's more like a habit. Cause like I'd write lyrics on the district line home and I'd write lyrics at school if it was boring during class. And I'd write lyrics like late at night because I can't play guitar cause my parents are up. In my head, like my songs are lyrics first. That's, that's the kind of core of the song. And then I can make a demo to essentially just show you like, okay, this, is this is what a song looks like. This is what, you know, this is what the structure is going to be. This is, these are the chords. This is how the lyrics fit in. Um, and then I guess my kind of like idea is that I can get other people that I think are musically talented um, and get them all to add their own elements on top of that and flesh it out and kind of, you know, outsource the actual musicality like the textures and the timbres, and you know all of that stuff to other people because you know like like with drums i don't know anything about drums drums are a complete mystery to me but i know some people who know tons about drums and i can just like show them a demo and they'll say okay okay i see what i can do with this and make something that i think is really cool out of that. Something that maybe I didn't even think of. Um, but just like within the structure that I've created and for the lyrics that I've created, and then I can kind of work along my guitar part with that and the song can kind of evolve from like that point forwards. So I guess an ideal situation would be, you know, studio time and just, um, all my friends in the studio and us just being able to like set up and work on a track and jam with it for like hours, you know, um, is I guess what I mean by a full treatment.
0: Following on from what you just said, what um, you sort of described what the ideal setup for recording and working up your songs would be, you know, getting into a studio. And you described in your initial contact that you thought you were probably very different from, um, the demographic we we're originally aiming at with the podcast uh you're not making traditional t- uh, demos to tape and you said that you that's not really how this kind of indie music works for you and the musicians that you know um so could you just sort of describe a little bit how the scene as you see it and as you're as you're involved with it how that scene uh, operates
2: yeah so with, with with the kind of advent of um music online you've you've ended up with a very kind of decentralized scene and you don't really need a label or um, like a producer or a contract or anything to get music out. You don't even really need studio time. You can just, you know, have mics and a computer, which, you know, there's still a cost barrier there, but you don't actually need to be any good, which is great. Um, Cause you can, you can always just start producing stuff where you're at. You know, like, obviously, I wasn't really around in the 90s. I was there for a couple of years. But I, I assume the way it works is you try and get together a band and then get a little bit of studio time to make a demo and then send that demo off. And then you get signed and you get it in advance so you can pay for more studio time. But, I like, I don't know what labels are accepting, um, you know, unsolicited demos right now. Uh, I'm, I'm not even sure what kind of labels there are out that aren't like super independent, like that aren't just your bud or something. Um, the, the one I can think of right now in the UK comes to mind is Alka with like um, happy accidents and forget whether fresh is on there or not. But like, that's kind of the, what I think of as the big indie label that does kind of actually listen to people. But, you know, even then most of the people I know um, in the music scene are just making stuff themselves with whatever equipment they have available. And, you know, where I am at uni, I have the privilege of being able to just um, access studios for free um, because of the uni. So I can actually get like, studio time i have to do it all myself and use the mics and the drum kit that's available so it's not like ideal ideal but it is you know a really great help to be able to use a studio but you know because of that i'm not really searching to find a label or to get out um my music out that way it's just you know you make it you put it out you tell your friends about it Hopefully they tell their friends about it. You can do some promotion. You can contact reviewers. You can, um, you know, you can even send it out to labels. Like, I, you know, I did, but didn't get any reply. But um, I think you tend to do that with, like, actual completed releases. Because, you know, in the end, what's the difference between a demo and a finished song, right? It's just the way you label it. Because you have so much music that sounds so different right now that you can just um you know anything can be the finished product if you call it that there's no like standard anymore which is a good thing but um on on a side note i'm interested to see what this um pandemic does to in terms of like further decentralizing the scene because um you know, there there are still like local music hubs right now. Like in New York, you have the Fulford Arms, uh, Crescent, you know, like one or two others. It's not a big city, but you got a few places where everybody plays at. But if they, you know, don't survive, right? And especially if this kind of lockdown continues, you're not going to, you're, you're not really going to get out to people you know in the same way it's like entirely going to be done online because you know up until recently you'd find out about local bands by going to the pub to support your friends and then you know you'd see someone else you might like and then you start following them but you know now you don't have to do that anymore because you don't have to have a four um four act bill you can do like your little facebook live stream with just you and maybe one other person because there's, there's no cost, right? You do a four act bill to get more people to cover the cost of playing in the first place. Um, but you don't have to do that anymore. So you're kind of, I, th- I think even if it is like more decentralized, you might see that it's even harder to like get a following.
1: Yeah. We, We were when we were talking with Paul, the last uh, Paul Preston Mills who we interviewed a couple of weeks ago. And Paul, as well as being a musician, he's uh, an actor and involved in local theatre. And it does feel like it's something that we need to be very wary of the sort of the effects of the pandemic in that way. He was saying, you know, if if, um, the possibility of the entire national local theatre scene dissolving completely is really, really present and And that possibility for local small music venues seems equally pressing doesn't it? I think it's it feels like it's going to be dependent, reliant upon people, musicians, actors, communities to come together and kind of keep that alive because it's uh, whilst all the development of the online stuff is fantastic, and the fact that we can work across platforms wherever we are in the world that kind of yeah, there's nothing like seeing, going and experiencing something in the present in a room, is there?
2: No, yeah, and I think I think for Seven uh, HDI, um, especially like that. That's that's what we're good at. Um, that's what that's what people like about us is um, kind of us getting up on stage and being. Angry and kind of yelling at the audience and, you know, swearing and being aggressive at them, which is, you know, it's what people like. I think people like that kind of particular experience that we give, which is really hard to convey through actually just music online. Yeah, it's very different.
0: What have your experiences of playing live been like?
2: I've only really been paying, playing live since 2017. I made the first demos kind of summer 2016. Um, I came to uni up in New York. Um, I found a friend who had access to the studios and she was like, Hey, or actually I I played a few like open mic nights during freshers week. Um, And there was one person who just really liked what I was doing and was like, Hey, I can get you into the studio. And so we went to the studio and I just recorded stuff, just me and my acoustic guitar, which, you know, I can't listen to it anymore. I hate it, but I'm glad it's there. Um, I, I find that like, I need to, if I write a song, I need to get it out like quickly or either not think about it or else I'll start just like getting anxious and doubting myself. And it's all just, it's not conducive to ever actually getting released. Um, And then once it's released, it's fine. It's free. I'll probably start hating it in a few years time, but it's not. That's fine. Someone, someone somewhere enjoys it. People like that album. That's, that's fine. That's up to them. Um, Start of 2017, there was the battle of the bands competition um, at my uni and I wanted to enter. And I didn't have a band, so I entered anyway. Um, and then I got my friends together. And I just, like, at that point, made a, a key piece of the band. That's being um, my friend Annie. Um, she's the lead guitarist. She is a phenomenal musician. And she's what, like, makes the band. She's she, the whole of the kind of musicality. And any anything that sounds good is basically because of her. Um, but I got us all together. I put us in a group chat. and was like, okay, cool. We're, we're in battle of the bands. I've entered us. And everyone's like, we're what? And I was like, no, we're in a band now. It's okay. I'll book us some practice time. We're, we're doing battle of the bands. I'll teach you all the songs. And everyone's was just like, you know, okay. Um, <laughs> if you just tell people they'll, they're doing something, they're just going to get swept up along with it and don't really have time to you know doubt you um, so we were entered in that we practiced a few times and then I managed to um, get us a gig at Spread Eagle which is a terrible bar with sticky floors um, where the kind of stage space is longer than it is wide so we are all kind of playing in a line um, <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: and uh, I, I got through that. I got on that um, as opening for the band Fat Spatula. Um, so we just got our first gig because they said something about having an open slot on Twitter. I just happened to be online online at the time and just kind of jumped on it. You know, we played there. It went it went well. I was amazingly surprised. Just as, like I was just. Completely flabbergasted that we managed to not suck at our first ever gig and that people really liked it. Um, Congratulations. Yeah. And this guy came up to us afterwards and was like, Oh, yeah, you know, you got those motoric beats. Like, have you listened to Noi? You've got motoric beats. And I was like, yeah, I know all of our songs are in 4 4. I can't write anything else, but thank you. <laughs> Uh, So then we did Battle of the Bands and again, we just kind of won. You just go on stage and are really mean to the audience and basically neg people into, you know, liking you. (laughs) But yeah, so we were doing, um, we were doing about a gig a month because uh, from that point on uh, for the next couple years, because gigs are really time consuming and they're, like it, at this kind of level of indie music, like we're not paying to play, but you know we might as well be because you gotta you know pay for the taxi and and then you know um, you're lugging all your equipment around and you're staying for all the other acts because you know I make I make the band stay for the other acts because that's that's the right thing to do. Um Yes, it is, and you know you're you're there for like. Four or five hours, even if you're only playing like 30 minutes, and then you pay for the taxi back home. Um, and everyone lives different places, so everyone has to pay for different taxis, right? And it's just you know, and you talk to the promoter after the show, and it's like, Oh, cool, can I have some money that I made you? Uh, and they're like, Yeah, here's you know, four quid. And it's like, ah, oh, great, <laughs> uh, that's that's one quid for each of us. Thank you, I can buy one-third of a meal deal. <laughs>
1: yeah, well we we've both been there Yvette. we've done that haven't we Steve I think. <laughs>
2: yes.
0: Yes.
1: <laughs> so um what uh, what would you say are the the, amb- the the ambitions for 7 hour darkness? So what's the creative ambitions and where would you like to see the band going?
2: Oh, uh, I like I, I've always been on um, for for the creative ambitions, I think. I'm always kind of changing what I want to do with the band and what I want to say with the band. Um, And even just in general, what I think about it. Um, Like, I think very early on, these are songs, I was writing songs that weren't like written with any particular to do anything. It's just that I had a lot of feelings and I couldn't, I wasn't really comfortable ranting to anyone about it. And, you know, the only thing I can do is just, like, write a song. That's that's my creative outlet. So, you know, I was just writing songs every day. Like I said, I was just, um, you know, I think, I think I've got hundreds of songs written in my old notepads and stuff. Um, most of them are, like, really quite bad. But, you know, you only need a few good ones, right? Um, so I was, yeah, just... I just had like this impulse to write them at all times. And I, you know, I'd think about them. I'd, well, I'd write without thinking about them first and then go back and try and think about what I was saying and improve it and make it coherent. Something into something resembling a song. Cause you see some of the first drafts and they've got no sense of meter and no structure and no rhymes. Even it's just like words and words and words. And it's like, okay, I need to sharpen this down and smooth it out and make a song. Um, and then I, you know, I had a bunch of songs, so it's like, okay, I can record these. There's no reason not to. Someone's going to get something out of it. Um, and you know, I like, I like the process of recording, like the process is fulfilling in and of itself. Um, but yeah, that's, it's in the beginning, it was a lot of just, you know, I have something to write. I'm going to write it. It takes the form of a song. Um, and then it kind of moved into more intentional stuff. Like, um, um, I really care about like the cities I'm in, and the, um, the way cities make us feel, and like kind of living in that. And I wrote a bunch of songs, you know, a kind of about that idea about how I felt about that. And I tried writing political stuff. But I think political stuff is very, very hard to write, because it often comes off as, you know, really just preachy like i don't think like i think i'm constantly thinking about what songs are best suited for um and what what is a song good at saying i think um as as opposed to like writing a book or writing a poem or Mm -hmm. making a film it's you know each medium has its own strengths and weaknesses um I think that political songs are very hard to write, especially considering there are so many other mediums where it's so natural to be political Um, or, you know, outwardly political because everything is political in a sense. Um, Yeah, sure. But, yeah, but, um, you know, I, I tried doing that for a while to varying degrees of success. I think that the more personal you make it, And the more, you know, that kind of radiohead thing of like political songs, but not identifying or explicitly talking about any particular structure, just about life within that structure, um, I think works really well.
1: Yeah, I think sometimes some of the most potent and powerful political music is stuff that doesn't have that, you know, direct polemic message in it emblazoned across it, isn't it? It's kind of comes across in attitude and feeling and a wider much wider kind of scope to it
2: no no i completely agree um then like once the band gets in full swing and we're actually just like practicing and playing together and kind of writing songs from scratch together I, i have something that i've never really had before which is music but no lyrics um which is always kind of exciting uh so i kind of after after that material, I was just trying to write, like, much shorter, kind of more lighthearted songs. Like, um, I wrote this song called Skate Punk, which was about just skater girls. <laughs> Cause I, I showed it to a friend and she was like, Yvette, is this about me? And it's like, no, I didn't even realize you skated. But, you know, sure. If you like it, then sure. Yeah, it's about you. <laughs>
1: is that that's on your is that on your phone demos that um, is that is on the phone yeah,
2: demos that, that yeah. is in phone demos the yeah it, it was weird writing those phone demos because i was like oh i should do demos for these because i don't want to forget how they go um but the music could actually already been written or like played by the band um as a whole so it was me asking my friends like, okay, I don't actually know how this chord sequence goes. I don't, I don't know what you're doing here. Can you tell me so I can make a demo so we don't forget um, how this works if we don't see each other for like a couple of weeks. So, um, that's, that's, that's another thing. That's why I write so many demos. Like that's why I've written. Um, yeah. What, what did I say? 122, got 122 demos up. Um, Mostly just because, like a lot of the reasons, I just don't want to forget how these songs go and what I'm thinking.
1: It definitely came across this um, the thing, this sort of notion of getting ideas down and not necessarily worrying about the method that seemed to be quite key to you. One of the things you you mentioned, you said, was about sharing something raw without having to commit to it.
2: Yes. Um, I think as soon as you label something as a finished product and say like, this is a song, this is a single, this is on the album, you're kind of committing to uh, like a level of quality um, that like, you know, if you say here, listen to this, it's our single, you'd expect that it was good um, or at least, you know, polished or something. Um, But with, with the demo, like I don't have to be entirely happy with it. Like um, I think in the one I sent you, Surrender, I've changed some of the lyrics, and I don't like love my vocal performance. And I think that I uh, mess up some of the phrasing. But like the, the core of the song is still there. I, I still think there's something to be like gotten out of that song, um, as it is in the demo. So I don't really see a reason not to release it. And it's nice to have that, freedom to release it without saying it's finished or even it's good it's just that there there's something it's there's there's a trace of you know something that i think is interesting that works
0: well given given that there is um i mean you've got a lot of music that is on a lot of material that is online but um you know talking about the sort of freeing up of people being able to put their stuff out there it creates a lot of noise, doesn't it? There is a there is so much to kind of battle through. To how, how challenging is it to cut through the amount of content that there is to reach your audience? And, and how much work do you put into that, or is that not something that you spend a lot of time thinking about?
2: Um, okay, so with with the release of um, our album "God Ain't Dead Yet," um, I actually tried contacting some reviewers about it. Um, I think I contacted like somewhere between 10 and 20 reviewers, um, and two did reviews and they were both positive. I got a nine out of 10 from thinking lyrically, which I'm very proud of. Um, but, uh, they, I, as far as I can tell, cause you can see the bandcamp stats, we didn't get like any hits from those because I think there's a similar problem with like indie reviewers in terms of noise that it's very accessible, anyone can do it, and you're probably have a really, really small audience. And anyone with any sort of popularity is going to be reviewing bands with a similar level of popularity. So the only like reviewers you have access to, at least initially, are the people who, you know, put, are putting reviews to the, out to the same people that you are, which isn't especially helpful. Um, I like, we're not like a particularly popular band. I think we were fairly popular in York in the indie slash emo music scene, um, between like 2017 and 2018 while we were playing the most, but that's a very particular scene. Um, we've never been particularly popular online, uh, which doesn't especially bother me because... You know, it's, there, like, there are people who I haven't met, who have downloaded and listened to the music, and I have no clue how they found it. Like, I cannot trace it at all. It's just, you know, we got a couple of fans in the Netherlands, and then like a couple of fans in the States. I, you know, they messaged me as like, Oh, my gosh, your music is so important to me. Thank you for putting this out. And it's like, oh, great! That's that's amazing. <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> that's really... how did you find this? Um, so you know that like uh, that's really important to me. I think it's amazing that I can find like anyone really. Um, like, there's no goal, right? We're not we're not spending money. Or we're trying not to spend money um, making the music. We're just you know, making it and if someone gets something out of it, that's you know good enough for me. Like my um I think my favorite music with the band was so we we won Battle of the Bands um twenty seventeen and we got to play at the Uni of York summer ball um the race course. We got to open for a Charlie XCX DJ set this which I like to bust out at parties. Um <laughs> like we you know, like they were on at like 10 PM or something and we were playing at six. So no one was there. The, the only people there were, you know, the people in the band society at York who had voted that we were the best of the battle of the bands or whatever. So, you know, like 10 people. Um, so we get into summer ball, we sneak some of our friends in by pretending that they're in the band so they don't have to buy tickets Um, I've bought this, like, 40 quid, I think, plywood guitar for the set. Um, And, you know, I've I've carved some nonsense into it because I'm going to smash it at the end because I've always wanted to do that. Um, And we're we're playing and we're playing one of our songs, uh, another song, or it's called Another Song. And, you know, it gets to the bit where it cuts out and it's just me singing, And, you know, I'm singing, and I can hear, like, the whole crowd, all 10 people singing along with me. And that was just, like, that just, you know, that's that's my favorite moment with the band. Just the idea that, like, you know, music, like, my music has reached somebody, like, people are resonating with it, I think is just, like, you know, that's good enough for me. I, I, I'd be fine with like crowds of four or five, if all of the four or five people were into it.
1: So if, if if there's kind of, if you describe that there's no kind of goal for the band at the moment, would you say that you, in terms of cre- creating things, creating music that you are compelled to make music?
2: <laughs> uh, I'm, com- I feel compelled to do everything that I do uh, because um, that's just, that's just kind of what I'm like, I I feel I don't do anything willingly. If I'm doing it, it's because I have this like massive compulsion, um, to get it done. Uh, I, I think that's true with music. I think that's true with, especially the material I'm working on right now is, um, kind of what, what I'm writing right now is kind of an examination and an interrogation of, actually why I write the songs and why I feel the need to write the songs. And I think the conclusion I've come to is it's about um, framing and curating the events in my own life to understand them better because you, you know, you, you go through life, a lot of things happen. It's, it's being alive is a really weird time, especially now. Um, and just being able to like pick events apart, um, because like, you know, that's kind of how memory works in general, right? Like you don't remember things, you remember yourself remembering them. That's just, you know, kind of how your brain works. It's not like a computer. Um, so I think that like consciously engaging with that process and, Um, consciously trying to figure out how you feel about something and how you remember something and what that means to you or what the stuff in my life means to me um, is something that I think is really important. And I think something that I think is really important for me moving forward in my life, both musically and more generally, because I don't, buy into ideas of like this emotional determinism almost that like, you know, you're like that my trauma will always bog me down and affect me in a certain way. And I don't have any say in that. I like to at least believe that, you know, I can, I can challenge it and I can do what I want with it.
1: Yvette, you talked about um, when you wrote to us. You talked about some very significant events that um, took place in your life around the making of those first demos, and that um, seemed like they prompted you to go and make the music. Would you say that was? I don't know if that's something you want to talk about a bit.
2: Yeah, no, I know. I'm I'm happy to talk. I'm always happy to talk about that. Uh, yeah, yeah. I had a I had a fun summer in 2016. Fun for everybody. Um, yeah, I started, um, I started taking Prozac, uh, because I've got clinical depression, apparently, whatever, you know, um, I was like, okay, I can't actually stand being a man anymore. This is, this is a bit much, um, think I'm just gonna like come out to my family, um, uh, as a, as a transgender woman. So I kind of did that. Um, and yeah, I had a massive, like it, it, what, it wasn't really a, like a mental breakdown. It's, (laughs) it's just my mom being overly concerned. And because of the way American, uh, healthcare or lack thereof works, uh it all kind of spiraled out of control, like we were so if if you can't tell by my voice, I'm originally from America um and we go see my family in Alabama every summer, though less so recently. Um, you know, we were driving somewhere, and I made a joke about like wanting to die or something, and she kind of freaked out um and you know, you, you read online, right? Like what, what do you do if, you know, someone you know is like this? And it's like, well, you call the doctor, you go to the hospital or something and it all just, yeah. So in the States you go there, if the doctor thinks that you're in danger of harming yourself, you get 5150 one fifty'd, which is similar to being sectioned here, except people tend to, not get sectioned here as much because the nhs is completely you know underfunded and you couldn't you couldn't get help even if you wanted it because of the tories oh, um that's true yeah but in the states there's obviously this financial incentive to declare as many people sick as possible and then charge them out the ass um which is like completely terrible in a different way um So I spent the night at the hospital, um, just in in this completely barren room, you know, it's it's just because like, I'd made a joke, right? And then it all just kind of spiraled. But I'm in this completely barren room. And there's this, there's this armed guard outside my door. Like, it's, you know, it's Alabama. He's got a gun. I'm not I'm not sure what he's going to do with that right like if I try to shoot my uh, if I try to kill myself he's going to come in and shoot me like is that the plan <laughs> the next day I got taken from there to um a mental hospital and I remember the ambulance uh guys saying, like oh you're lucky this is such a nice hospital uh, or else you would have been taken in a police car And it's just like <laughs> why um you know just that's another example of the complete overreach of the american police which uh you know just in a lot of recent events especially just you know there's absolute necessity to defund and abolish the police they're not a health institution um but yeah You know, I get into the mental hospital and then, you know, I tell them I'm trans because I'm just kind of saying it now. And they're like, oh, okay. Um, So I have to be put in a room by myself because I'm assigned male at birth, but they've put down that I'm a woman. So I can't share a room with a guy because I'm down with a woman, but I can't share a room with a woman because I'm assigned male at birth. Um, So because of that, I get transferred from the mental health ward of the mental hospital to the substance abuse ward. Um, So I got to spend like the next, next four or so days playing um, like hearts, just playing like Uno and um, hearts with a bunch of, Heroin addicts, we're all very like it's all very nice. They're like, you know, it's, if you provide people care, they're all like really, you know, the wonderful. Really, like, you know, they're not like, people like that aren't aggressive or anything as long as they got like nicotine patches and Suboxone. Like, you know, people just need care. <laughs> There's nothing you know wrong with anybody if you actually like meet them and speak to them. Um. Aside from uh, this weird Nazi furry guy uh, who had, like, um, a Subaru tattoo. It was, it was, like, a combination of very baffling things with this guy. Um, but, you know, everyone else, pretty nice. Um, you know, eventually, like, they, they let me out. And, you know, but that was a really just, um yeah a really weird experience i'd written like half the songs from beach life by that point and then i got out i got back to the family reunion which was happening that i just just showed up in the middle of like hey i'm back from the mental hospital to like all 40 members of my family um because yeah yeah um and then two days later we're like okay we're going to the beach you know drive all the way down um to mobile which is like the entire length of alabama um and then i'm just kind of stuck on the beach for like a week with just like my parents and my sister um and some of my cousins and like you know i'm feeling weird i don't really want to talk to them i brought my uh granddad's guitar so i'm just writing songs and that's where the kind of back half of that album comes from that's kind of the the circumstances where that was made um just because like I was uh, had this massive crush on a guy at the time and it was all a bit difficult to comprehend and like I just wanted to you know like I'd feel something and like I can't just talk to him about it. Cause you can't just come out of nowhere and say like, Hey, I got a massive crush on you. And also all these terrible things have happened. Cause you can't just put that on people. Um, but you can write songs. So that's, that's what I did. And I, I think those experiences have kind of like informed a lot of the other, uh, music that we've made just like generally, you know, I, I think I'm fairly left wing being a, a communist you know i think you just give people space and give people room and care and you know they just kind of work themselves out like things things will be okay um and i think that's kind of informed the attitude of the band
0: uh, that sort of overwhelming experience that period in that sort of informed the
2: the beach songs um
0: ha- oh, i'm kind of waffling this question cuz uh, uh, as you were, as you were recalling that story recounting that story telling that story about, uh, and sharing those experiences um knowing that the sort of end of that story was res- the it's the resulting that it results in music and you having um, using using music in a way to sort of bring you help you to make sense of it like you've talked about that it seems really vital to me your music making and I thought that before you told that story like right from your first answer. It seems, and I guess that's what sort of prompted your question, Ben, about being compelled to write music. But it seems so vital for you. The way you talk about it, and the way you're exploring music, sounds to me like um, uh, like an absolutely essential thing. Um, And I think part, uh, I think that's part of the reason why your music is as good as it is, is you're being dead honest and dead uh, 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 and, and, and wholly driven.
2: To write these songs, uh, I don't know that that's a question. I just no, to... I, 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 I get what you mean. Like that, um, that that sentiment has been echoed by I think everyone who likes the band kind of latches on to this idea that it's very honest or very raw or something. And I think,
0: but it's rare. It's really rare, though, with I think that's a rare thing to to pull that off. It's it's all right to say that that's what you're doing, but to achieve it and pull it off and do it well and actually come out as something that people do want to listen to and 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 it, the sort of sentiments translate through the experience of listening to the music. That I think you know, all credit to you and your bandmates.
1: I just wanted to add that I felt really feel privileged that you shared such a frank and difficult period with this in with such blatant honesty and i think that the fact that you pulled such great music out of a period of adversity is real such a credit to you and it's you know it's um definitely something to be proud of um yeah well definitely I'll, li- I'll listen to it with that in uh, that story in my ears now as yeah, well i think
2: Thanks.
1: um you talked about um with some of the early recordings that you can document a song years before it finally reaches its finished version. And I just wondered if you could talk a little bit more about that effect.
2: The the way I've been doing demos the past few years, and actually all the way since the male gaze, because there's um, a ton of male gaze demos that I refuse to share because they're uh, exactly what you'd think a uh, 16-year-old in a kind of weird privileged bubble would write um, which is no one should ever hear that. (laughs) But uh, yeah, it's always just, I've got a song, so I record it and then, you know, just to remember how it goes and remember how it's played and, you know, to mess around uh, with it and kind of enjoy the process of recording. Um, And actually for myself to listen to it because, you know, I write stuff that I want to hear. I write stuff that like I like I'm not I'm not playing anything or making anything that I don't like or at least at the time um, but yeah so it all just it all just kind of gets uh, made kind of as and when I think oh I should do some demos of these songs that I've written um, and then as soon as I've written them I uh, or as soon as I've recorded the demos I put them up because um, I don't see any reason to like conceal that part of the music making process from people because there's no limits on space anymore. There's no physical requirements for um, like putting out a song. I can just, you know, drag a file over to Bandcamp and then boom, it's up. It's, I don't even advertise it you know, I'll send it to a few friends to say, Hey, what do you think of this? But I just, I just don't think there's any reason, at least for me not to, because as I said, like, I think even if I don't think they're good, I think there's something there. And I think people do listen to the songs and kind of get something out of it. Um, And it's, it's nice to have like feedback on stuff as well to kind of um, just for people to pick up on stuff that you haven't noticed, whether that's like critical or, you know, praise, because, you know, sometimes people praise you on things that you weren't even thinking about while you've written it. And then when it comes to doing it for real, you can emphasize that element, um, I think is really helpful. But yeah, I just just put things up when they're made because I don't want to, you know, don't see any reason to, not do that and it takes sometimes it takes years to get it together to get everyone together enough to actually record anything like um beach life demos were kind of written and made about a year before we actually recorded beach life um the songs i'm going to be working on as soon as i can get my friends back together again because we we've all kind of disbanded um from 7 hdi because of a collision of like uni the coming to the final years of uni and health concerns and um this kind of burnout from doing gigs and lack of money. That's um, kind of meant we've stopped really playing together recently, but, you know, come October or so, if I can get everyone in the studio again, um I'm going to try and do that and I'll be producing songs that were, you know written a couple of years beforehand uh, like two two and a half years beforehand just because sometimes that's how long it takes to you know get everybody together
1: well i really i really hope that happens like i'm we're so keen to hear you know what comes out of that that would be fantastic
0: yvette thank you so much for doing this sharing your music and uh, your thoughts and feelings of ex- and experiences of music making it's been brilliant to um to hear what you've got to say um can we just finish off with you introducing the song that people are going to hear now
2: so this is uh ffs uh off of the beach life demos from august 2016
0: thank you yvette
2: yeah thank you Learn. He threw up two times this morning Let's not make it three It's not very crowded But people are sharing seats And I'm writing lyrics that I hope no one can see Fuck me up